Please stand for the reading of God's word. Today's scripture is uh, the boy Jesus in the temple. This is Luke 2, 41 through 52. It's in the pamphlet, or you might want to look it up. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it, but supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. But then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem, searching for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him... Good morning, friends. Hey, thanks, Will. I appreciate this. It's good to be back, friends. I am so grateful for many of you who served our family so much um, by giving us and bringing us food. You don't know how much you blessed our family by doing that. I appreciate you, and I'm so glad that you allow me to preach the good news of Jesus Christ to you each week. If Jesus has been good to you, can, you, can I get an amen? Amen. Amen. Our text today calls us to look to Jesus. Everybody say, look to Jesus. When we look at Jesus, whom do we see? What do we call him? What do we hear him say? Where do we expect him to be? This is important. So important that Luke, through the testimony of Mary, written in the power of the Holy Spirit, took time in his narrative to focus in on the boy Jesus and his words. The invitation is clear from Luke. From the jump, everything that we learned from the chapter 1 and chapter 2 find its climax here in this text. We must say that this text is all about Jesus Everybody say, it's all about Jesus. This gospel is about Jesus Christ. Behold, the Son of God. While Elizabeth and Zechariah and Joseph and Mary, the shepherds and angels, Caesar Augustus and Herod and Simeon and Anna and even John the Baptist all play a great role in the narrative. The star of the show is Jesus This is all about Jesus. We might as well say it again. It's all about Jesus. Even from a sure number standpoint, so far in the narrative, John the Baptist, the other main character in the story, pales in comparison to the amount of coverage that Jesus gets covered with. Chapter 1, verse 80, and chapter 2, verse 40 point to something in our text as well. Both point to these being miracle babies as anointed human beings who were favored by God 
and their, and their, God's hand was on their life. But Luke here again in verse 52 wants to double down on the fact that Jesus is growing. Jesus is the favored one of God. And Jesus is favored with man as well. It is like Luke is saying, when you look to Jesus, whom do you see? What do you call him? What do you hear him say? Where do you expect him to be? Here's how Luke does it. You ready to dive in, church? Uh-oh. Y'all need to talk to me, church. We're not dead. We're alive. Come on. Talk to me. Are you ready to dive in, church? Amen. Amen. Well, let's look at verse 41 and 42 real quick. While not offering an exhaustive biography of Jesus' life, Luke focuses on this one particular episode in the life of Christ before moving forward to the adult years of Jesus. In the first two verses of our text, we see Jesus' parents and Jesus going to the Passover festival. The Passover feast was a festival in which the Israelites celebrated, and I mean celebrated, y'all, the day in which all Israel was delivered from the hand of Pharaoh, their oppressor. It was also a celebration of Israel as they were celebrating the fact that God called them their firstborn son, his firstborn son. Exodus 4, verse 22 says, Then you shall say to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. That comes with many benefits, y'all. It was also a huge family gathering in which boys who were coming of age and coming into manhood were celebrated. So this is a festive time. You got that in your mind, church? It's a festive time. It's a fun time. It's a, it's a wonderful time. It's full of wonderful things to do in the city of Jerusalem. Jerusalem in a city proper was probably a, 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 a city that had about 25,000 people in it, according to Erdman's New Testament commentary. But when it was Passover time, it was popping. It was probably about 60K, 100K deep. It was deep in there. They was, they was out there partying. It was full of family and the group they traveled with. But it was also customary. And it fulfilled their parental duties, raising the son of the God unto the Lord. Which means this. Church family. Mary and Joseph were righteous. They were devout. They were holy. They were doing what they were supposed to do, bringing their church, their kids to church on Sunday, every week, doing, doing the things that God calls them to. They were holy. That's going to be important here in a little bit. But as all good things come to an end, the feast comes to an end in verse, 30, verse 43. And they begin traveling back. And boy, Jesus chills back in Jerusalem. Now get this. Remember I said they're righteous and devout? Luke is not saying these people are bad parents for leaving their kids, for leaving Jesus behind. They weren't helicopter parents, which, by the way, I would not advocate leaving your, your, your kid behind anywhere or not knowing where your kids are. That's not what I'm saying. They weren't bad parents, though. They allowed their 12-year-old son 
who, by the way, would could have been considered a man during their time, or at least definitely moving that way. They didn't prolong their adolescence like we do here in America. They let him hang with another part of the traveling party. But everything about them traveling back and forth each year said that these people were devout people. In fact, the group they traveled with was probably for companionship and security, according to Donald Guthrie, a London New Testament lecturer. The Hebrew word for group here in verse 44 also means known ones. These people were known ones, which seems to indicate that the people they thought Jesus was with was probably kin or next to kin, people they trusted. Mary and Joseph, where am I going with this? Mary and Joseph were people who led their families to the epicenter of worship in their culture. They were going to observe feasts. Luke in the scripture is not putting an emphasis on the parents missing the mark of caring for Jesus, but instead of missing it in another way. But if anything, Luke is highlighting the devoutness of these folk. Like John Mark said last week, they weren't rich, but they were going to keep the law of the Lord at all costs because they loved the Lord. Sometimes I think we minimize the obedience of these people in the Bible because we miss the details and we don't experience what they do. We got cars today. Well, some of us do. If you're like me and Gavin, we having car troubles this week, y'all. Come on, man. I tell you what. We got cars, though. Today, if you drove from Nazareth to Jerusalem, it would take you about two and a half hours to get there. But for them, it was like 85 to 90 miles in five days. A full day's trip for them, like it says in verse 44, was like 17 miles. They went a full day just traveling on foot. When was the last time you took the whole family on a hiking pilgrimage to go worship the Lord? Friends, Joseph and Mary were righteous folk. Are you willing to lead your family like them, church? Trey, that's a question. Are you ready? The amount of sacrifice. 17 miles. Anyways, when morning came back around and Jesus wasn't at the table for breakfast, Mary and Joseph started searching and couldn't find them amongst the kinfolk and probably got that feeling like old girl from Home Alone. Y'all remember that at time Home Alone? She realized Kevin was gone. She was like, Kevin! Just had that old feeling. Could you imagine that feeling in your stomach? Where, where is Jesus? Somebody find Jesus. I don't know where he's at. I gotta go find him. And they began making their way back. Probably leaving the group behind. Their companions and comfort and security. A bunch of, a whole bunch of, think about this. They're nomadic. They're moving back and forth. There's all kinds of dangers. They left that danger to go back and frantically search for their baby. We know frantically because verse 48 says that they were in great distress. 
They were like, where's my baby? Could you imagine the scene? They go a day's journey. They have to go back a day's journey. They get there and they search for a full day. And on the third day, they find their son. But crazily enough, they're going around and they're looking and they're running around. And they're like, hey, Samson, you know, dad's probably like, Samson, what's the word on the street? Have you seen Jesus? Jesus, you know what I'm saying? So for experience. But after three days, in verse 46, they found Jesus sitting in the temple. And what they saw was magnificent. Glorious, even. Their 12-year-old boy was a prodigy, asking questions and giving answers among the best of the best teachers there of the law and Torah. Getting things from scripture that either they had never thought of or that they just didn't think a 12-year-old would inquire about. Jesus is unique. You can't play do you want to be smarter than a 12-year-old with Jesus and Nazareth, especially with the Bible? <laughs> Everyone is astonished, including Mary and Joseph. They're flabbergasted. I wanted to use that word in the sermon, so I put it in there, flabbergasted. I just love that word. But then Mary does something that shows her humanity here and her lack of understanding and assessing the situation. They were missing something that is crucial about Jesus. Are you listening, friend? No, I mean you out there. Are you listening? Because we are in danger of missing this too. We want to have certainty in this life, the things we have been taught. Just like Luke wanted Theophilus to possess the things that he had been taught, so Luke wrote an orderly account for him. Remember that in verse one, uh, chapter one, verse four. What she was missing, church family, was the mission of Jesus, the Son of the Father, the Son of God, who will always be about His Father, and He will always be about His Father's house. See, many commentators agree that Luke's main point of this entire passage is not the details surrounding Jesus' getting left behind, but rather on what Jesus is doing and what he says. This is, of course, the first time he speaks on his own behalf in the Gospel of Luke. That's a big deal. And while Mary is very devout, it is clear that her and boy Jesus are not on the same wavelength about where he should be. And so she scolds him in verse 48. You guys see that? Again, not throwing shade on her. I would probably would have done that too, especially with long, how long that journey was. My bunions is hurting. My feet is hurting from that, that, that journey. But listen, this was the beginning of what would be more instances of what Simeon had promised to her. And then she walked some miles, and then she had a baby, and there's nobody else who experienced that. So she must have been very acutely aware that her birth was miraculous, and that her father, that Jesus' father was the father in heaven. But she is still putting an emphasis on her and Jesus' 
earthly relationship. Forgetting that Jesus is both flesh bearing and divine. In which Jesus is putting an emphasis, he's trying to get her to see an emphasis on his heavenly relationship first. So Jesus' words here are this. Why were you looking for me? Why were you looking for me? Jesus, he is not mocking his mother or being disrespectful. We can see that in verse 51, that he's not a disrespectful type of kid. But he's trying to position Mary in a place to make her alert to what is going to happen next. And as a reader, Luke is trying to get us alert to what is about to happen next. Mary's priorities are mixed up. They're mixed up. The words of Jesus next are super important. Secondly, it took a minute to find Jesus. It took a minute to find Jesus. Maybe they assume Jesus would be amongst the other spectacle. You get the scene, they're searching around. All the other spectacles popping out there, 60K, 100K deep. And look at them. They're looking in the marketplace and over here and over there. And they can't find Jesus and it takes a whole day. And then finally, they find Jesus. And where is he at? In the temple. In Mary's defense, her anxiety is valid. But Jesus in his response makes it very clear that she and Joseph should have been looking where his father is first. They still haven't put their spiritual eyes on first. In Jesus' mind, this is the only place they should have been looking. Meaning where God the Father is, Jesus would be there also. Time and time again, we, we will see people misunderstand the nature of the Messiah. Jesus' own earthly mother who bore him miraculously cannot understand. Joseph, who was caring for them during the ride, is also confused as well. Verse 50 says, And they didn't understand the saying he spoke. And this will not be the last time either. Jesus, at 12 years old, was becoming more conscious of the fact that he has a familial relationship with the Most High God. Jesus is the Son of God, and he knows it. Distinct from being just an Israelite boy, a child of God, he is the Son of God, the awaited Savior of the world, God in the flesh. God has visited us when we look at boy Jesus in verse, at 12 years old. So when you look at him, you see God. When he says something to you, it is God speaking to you. We call him Jesus Christ. And it's not just some nice last name. This is Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the highly favored one of God. So then why didn't Jesus just stay in the temple? Well, there's a couple of reasons. Because Jesus 
is pointing out, because, excuse me, Luke is pointing out that Jesus is perfectly human as well. And that's good news for us, friends. One of whom was just 12 years old at this point. It just wasn't his time yet. So he just, so God called him to go back and obey his parents and follow them. I'm grateful that Jesus obeyed in verse 51. And that Mary treasured these things in her heart enough to remember them. They were a treasure for her and are a treasure for us. If you've been blessed by the word of God, can I get an amen? To see Jesus like this is truly a treasure. What treasures with Jesus and his community of love and his word are you storing up in your heart these days, church? I'm going to say that for you again. I want you to think about this. What treasures with Jesus and his community of love, meaning the saints of Jesus Christ around you right now, and his word, are you storing up in your heart these days, church? It's just a question for thought, something to think about. Again, if Jesus is not both God and man, he could not save us. No, it would have been impossible to sustain perfect obedience if he was not God. Amen, church? Those who know, know, know your theology, all you theologians in the room, you know he needed to be God, right? But if Jesus wasn't man, then he could not be the sacrifice needed for us to receive salvation. When you look at verse 51... You should see Jesus, the Son of God, yes. But you should also see Jesus, the God-man. Jesus was obeying his mother because God the Father in the Scriptures gave a commandment to Moses that said, you will honor your father and mother. So Jesus obeyed his earthly parents and it was still his heavenly father's will. Because again, as we look at our last verse, Luke emphasizes that Jesus further increased in wisdom and stature and favor with who? God. And then he adds man. Here, which is different from chapter 2, verse 40, where it is first mentioned that he grew in favor with the Lord. And then it stops there. See, with every choice that Jesus made, he was submitting to his fathers in heaven. With every choice he made, it was God's heavenly sovereign will. Even the choices that were honoring men were honoring God his father, such that he even gave favor with his people. And as we look with the book in our hands, we know that if we fast forward to the end of the gospel narrative, what we get is this cross, and resurrection. Through this 12-year-old boy, we receive forgiveness of sins, cleansing, renewal. Jesus always did what was right, even as a little boy. Jesus did what was right as a man as well. Side note, as a boy, this was appropriate for him to follow his parents back 
But when Jesus is a man, we'll see later in the, in the gospel narratives, we see Jesus take a different posture, all while never sinning. But when Jesus died, a sinner's death, it wasn't a deserving one, but he died for the sins of the world. Because Jesus is the promised one who will bear our guilt and our shame and all of our sin. Jesus wasn't any less innocent as the day he came out of his mother's womb and as a 12-year-old boy and as a 33-year-old man. Listen, friends, I got a little baby right now. She's precious. She's really pretty. She warms my heart. Like Sometimes I just look at her like... <laughs> Having a baby girl messed me up, y'all. Really, yeah, she's precious. I would never think she deserves to die like Jesus did. And that's exactly what happened to Jesus. Baby, 12 years old, 33-year-old man, all innocent. Like the baby first out of the womb. Perfect and spotless, without blemish. All for us. So that if we would just receive him as our Lord and Savior. So many people in the world are dead. I look around this room, sometimes I worry. Are you alive? Praying for you this morning. (laughs) Receive Christ today. Receive Him. You will inherit eternal life. He died for you. No, not nobody else. Don't look at nobody else. Don't look down. Deal with it. Your sin caused Him death. He was innocent. Are you seeing Jesus as Luke does in this passage as a son of God, full of wisdom, totally confounding the leaders and the wisdom of his day and still doing so 2,000 years later? Is Jesus the very wisdom of God to you? Sorry, hold on. Is his wisdom supreme? Do you submit to his words because you know they have life in them? Moreover, do you submit to Jesus over your own personal doubts and fears? Do you believe the words of Jesus over the lies of the enemy in the world? One of the ways you'll see this as you look at Jesus in Luke is that your life will start being conformed and you will submit to his ways over your own. Are you listening to boy Jesus? What is Luke inviting us to in this passage? To believe in Jesus who is always in his father's house. To believe in Jesus who is the favored one of God. It is so easy to look for what you know somewhere else other than Jesus. When Jesus can fulfill everything that you long for 
Don't look in the wrong places. Even if the life is chaotic and the forces seem crazy. Boy, Jesus is speaking to you. Are you listening? He is always in his father's house. And this is good news, friends. If you long to be in the presence of God, and you've fallen way short, you feel like you're living a double life, partying with Satan on Saturday and asking God to a dance on Sunday, but you want to quit, there's good news for you, friends. This Jesus is your great high priest, and there's one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. He is always interceding for you, and he is always interceding for us, and he is always where you would logically think he should be, and where he is telling you he is. The question is, will we trust him? Will we trust him? Remember me saying that the temple is the epicenter of worship for the Jewish people? It's where the Israelites fully believed that heaven and earth met. Where heaven and earth met. is a place of beauty. Y'all, God is beautiful. God loves beauty. And the very presence of God we long for, they believe were manifest in that place. Healing and forgiveness of sin, renewal were so close they could feel it and touch it. But the holy of holies was not accessible to all people. No one dared enter the innards of the temple without coming correct or else die. Because that's how holy God is. But if you are in Christ, if you are in Christ, church family, Remember, you are in Christ. You don't have to come timid no more. When Jesus died on that cross, the veil in that temple was literally torn in two. Jesus is our high priest forever. And through our connect to Jesus, we have access to the Most High God. Something that we could not attain on our own. Hebrews 4.16 says we can draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace in our time of need. Friends, we can approach the throne of grace with confidence, not to sin, but to be set free from sin. Amen, church? If you need some help, then run yourself back to Jesus and say it with your chest. Jesus, I need your help. Or maybe you should do it like this. Jesus, I need your help. Run back to Jesus. If you want healing from that temptation that has tangled you up more than some unkept dreads, then run yourself back to Jesus. That boy or girl that you can't get out your head, that you've been lusting after, run to Jesus. If you put, if you want to put that bottle and that pipe down, then you run to Jesus. If you want peace in your life, then you run to Jesus. If you want hope in your soul, you run to Jesus. You don't go nowhere else but Jesus. If you want to start lying, you want to stop hating your friend and your neighbor, then run yourself back to Jesus. He is always there because he is the son of God and he will help you. 
And then you need to do as he says. Remember the, I, don't, I, don't, I just thought about this, but you remember that, that lady and that passage that may or may not have been written in the original manuscript, but, but there's, there's Jesus and he's standing there and they throw a woman at his foot, feet. And Jesus starts writing some stuff in the sand. And they're about to stone this woman. And then Jesus gets up and says, he who has, you guys remember saying with me? Go ahead and say it. Somebody know it. Yeah, he who has no sin cast the first stone. And those who are wise and discerning and understanding, like me, I'm a chief of sinners, understood. I'm not saying I'm wise and discerning. Hopefully I'm a little bit more humble now. I'm just saying I understand that I need to respond like those, like those old sages and say, man, Jesus, yep, I'm a sinner. They got up and they left first, church. They left first. And as they, as they left, Jesus looked at the woman and said, what? Go. Sin no more. Go sin no more. He forgave her of her sin, but then said, hey, it's time to listen to me. Don't follow the ways of this world. Go sin no more. Church family, today is that day. If you've been last night, last week, last month, having something in the back of your mind, that was holding you back from worshiping Jesus fully. Today is the day. Today is the day. Don't let tomorrow happen and the next day happen and you still feeling the guilt and shame from what you've done. Submit to Jesus. And he will forgive you of your sins. But he's not just going to leave you there. He's going to say, go and sin no more. But guess what? Church family, that's your freedom. Sin is bondage. Sin is not freedom. Jesus is freedom. We should look to Jesus. Amen, church? When you look at Jesus, whom do you see? What do you call him? What do we hear him say? Where do you expect him to be? Those are big questions for your life. I pray that Jesus is exalted and God is glorified in your hearts today. And that you see Jesus, the son of God, who is always in his father's house. As we get ready to sing some songs and pray, I just want to say this. Hey, I might not do an altar call today. I don't know. Maybe I will, but I don't think I will. Um, The... Every week, you can come down here for an altar call if somebody does an altar call. But hey, listen, you don't have to wait for the altar call to go confess your sins to another brother and sister in Christ. So you could do that during the midweek. In fact, as we sing the songs of worship, you can go to a friend during the songs of worship and say, Brother and sister, would you pray for me? First John 1 John 1.9 says, if you confess your sins to one another, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Church family, don't wait 
Today is the day. And whatever we're doing, it could be our first Sunday lunch. You can confess your sins to one another. And God is faithful and just to forgive your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And you'll be set free. Don't you want to be free, church? It's so good to be free, church. I love brothers and sisters who helped me do this. Chauncey Shiloh is so good about helping me understand that I need to confess my sins. He he has been super helpful in helping me in my discipleship and understanding that I need to confess my sins. He models it so well. There's so many good brothers like that in our church who do that as well. But I just love that brother. He's, he's helped me so much. Let's do that for each other. Let's be a welcoming space, too, for each other, church. When somebody comes and confesses their sins, respond with grace and love for each other. Don't condemn them. Bring them to Jesus and show them the love of Christ. Amen, church? Amen. Let's, let's, let's worship with each other. Let me say a prayer for you. Father, I thank you for boy Jesus who is always in his father's house. Thank you for grown man Jesus, who went to the cross, died and resurrected on the third day, and is now seated in heaven, and we are seated with him. And Lord, I'm so grateful that he intercedes for us, and we can go to him anytime we went, we go astray. And Father, I pray if anyone in here has went astray, Lord, today would be the day. That you'll be setting people free in this room. And Father, we pray this all in Jesus' precious name. Amen.